This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, let's come back to the session. Wow, that's really loud now. Is that too loud? No? It's good? All right, good. All right, so before we get started on the continuation here, I want to clarify one thing. My brother gave me some very uh, good feedback, and that is some of my comments on quote-unquote traditional evangelism, and especially like net fishing and stuff like that. Uh, I want to clarify a couple things. One is I believe in public evangelism. Amen. Um, public evangelism, which, you know, what we specifically, I think, mean is prophecy seminars and the like presented at churches uh, is really important. Uh, that's what actually led to my own heart conversion after a lifetime in the church. Uh, so I am definitely a believer in it. In fact, this is very complementary to that because I think a lot of the, the problem or the challenge with public evangelism is there's so much energy that's put into the event, but there's not enough energy put into the pre-work or the post-work. And I think most of us who've been through that cycle recognize, and, and this is all about both pre- and post-work. You know, pre-work, you know, six, nine months before the event, you should have people thinking about how they can very um, purposefully be making relationships with people so that they can find the hungry fish in their sphere of influence and then invite them to the event. And then, on a post perspective, once you've established relationships with people, you need to be continuing that relationship evangelism as a way to solidify any contacts that are made. And so, uh, I actually don't... um, you know, some of my comments about uh, fly fishing versus industrial net fishing or picking apples versus industrial farming, they're not really about um, uh, public evangelism per se. It's more about uh, sometimes we feel, I think, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, uh, we feel that as Adventists that our purpose is to take a stand for the truth in a very dogmatic way. Now, I'm not saying we, we are to, supposed to take a stand for the truth. Uh, amen? amen? And uh, hopefully nothing that we've shared today hasn't been along those lines. But there's a difference between taking a stand for the truth, and, and sometimes people almost think of it as, I have to put you in a headlock and tell you about the 28 fundamental beliefs, and you need to listen to me. And our focus when it comes to conversation Um, about spiritual things is more about us telling you what's right. And what we're here to suggest is that there's a totally different way of framing the conversation that, uh, if you remember the quotation from session one, uh, we're not having uh, contention and argument. We're drawing their minds out to think. And so that's really what we're addressing when we talk about, like, pulling people into the boat and clubbing them over the head. It's, it's when we think that we're there to tell you what's right. And if you don't like it, that's your problem because at least it's true. I'm sure you've never heard this at a board meeting, perhaps, when someone says, you know, they might not like it, but it's the truth. Yeah, you might have heard that once or twice. That's what we're talking about. So we believe in public evangelism. We believe in preaching the three angels' message in the public way from the front. Um, and this is complementary to that. Uh, so hopefully that, that helps clarify any uh, questions about that. And if you have any further questions, please, please come talk to us or me um, uh, at our booth, number 309. So with that, I'll hand it back over to Cynthia to uh, continue our discussion. So if you recall, we had started with the five E's. We only got through the first E, which is excel in life and work. This next E is actually establish relationships. So this is, we've been alluding to this the entire time, which is that what really works to share the gospel with this group of people is a personal relationship, right? They're your neighbor, they're your friend, they're your colleague, they're your classmate. And what I always like to see is a lot of what we're talking about, Jesus was actually our best example of how to do this. And you'll see examples throughout all of these of how Jesus did this. Um, With establishing relationships, 
Jesus himself, when he was talking to Zacchaeus, who was, of course, a very unpopular tax collector, um, he probably knew Zacchaeus would be too embarrassed to invite Jesus over. And so Jesus was like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'd love to hang out with you and spend some time. And that's it, what this is saying in Luke. Where he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So this is Jesus establishing a line of communication and starting to build a relationship. Similarly, Ellen White I think I actually, we actually had this quote earlier, but I really love this because it illustrates that Jesus was very intentional about how he went and reached out to this group of people. So she wrote that while he, meaning Jesus, ministered to the poor, Jesus studied also to find ways of reaching the rich. He sought the acquaintance of the wealthy and cultured Pharisee, the Jewish nobleman and the Roman ruler. He accepted their invitations, attended their feasts, made himself familiar with their interests and occupations that he might gain access to their hearts and reveal to them the imperishable riches. So think about that, right? He wasn't just randomly saying, hi, you know, glad you stopped by. He actually studied how they lived and what they thought and what they cared about. And he accepted their invitations, attended their feasts, made himself familiar with their interests and occupations. Why? So he could gain access to their hearts. So a lot of the time, Many people have come up to me and said, hey, you know, it's really hard sometimes to hang out with people in this sphere because they tend to do things that, you know, are maybe not ideal from, uh, from a Christian perspective. And what I, would, what I will tell people, and I will share this throughout the next few uh, minutes, is I had to face this decision myself when I was in business school, right? When business school, alcohol is probably the most popular thing on campus. Um, people are very interested in bar crawls and hanging out and doing all kinds of things. And it's hard to have, you know, just build relationships and spend time with people in that area. So I decided, after a lot of prayer and going into this, I knew going into business school that I needed to do something different to help um, build a line of communication and start... Basically, I asked myself, what did I want people to believe about me so that I would have more credibility and a better position to share God? And what I think God led me to is changing the frame a little bit. So rather than having to say no all the time, is to say yes when you can and extend invitations when you can't. So if somebody says, hey, Cynthia, we're going to go to a bar tonight. You want to join us? I'll be like, you know, I can't do that. But instead, why don't you come over to my house for dinner tomorrow? Or why don't you come to my home for brunch on Sunday? Or why don't you join me for a hike on Saturday afternoon? Like, that's what I mean by changing the frame. So rather than just saying, oh, no, I can't, sorry. Say yes when you can and extend invitations when you can't. Um, David, don't you have a good example of golf? Well, I have a couple things, yeah, that I would share about that. And while he's fixing that, by the way, that's one reason why I somewhat accidentally ran a half marathon <laughs> because I was always saying no to people and finally one of my classmates was trying to organize a half marathon for the section and since this was one of the few things that I could attempt to do I ended up running a half marathon just to try to say yes more often than no. So I, I think this is a very brilliant um, way to think about it. It's not, you're never saying no, you're just saying something else, you're proposing an alternative. And um, of course you are saying no to, you know, whatever the event is that, it, like there's, there's no such thing as a strip club ministry unless you're going and rescuing the girls, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I went to my wife who's sitting here in the front row and said, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to the strip club with the guys, you know, I'm, I'm accepting their invitations. That's, uh, that's from Spirit of Prophecy. That wouldn't fly. Um, but. But, but the point is, you always, you, you don't say no, you say, hey, what about this instead? And that way you're still an open person and uh, you are inviting to them. They feel accepted and invited by you to be a part of their lives. Because if you just say no, what are you basically saying? Like, I don't want to hang out with you. And eventually they're going to stop offering. So... Yeah, so what you really want to do is, is basically affirm, like, yes, I do want to hang out with you. I just want to do it in a different setting. Because think about it. When they invite you to that pub crawl, it's not because they hate you. <laughs> right? It's because they like you. So you need to take that relationship and turn it into something positive. Um, the golf example I was going to say is about making yourself familiar with their interests and occupations. And this really gets at the heart of motivation. Sometimes people will ask because this, I mean, this, this um, seminar is not 
actually about like W3 lifestyle per se. So it's, it's not about, you know, you could get into a whole discussion about like, well, uh, you know, should we live in a nice neighborhood or should we wear certain kinds of clothes or should we dress in a certain way or own certain kinds of cars or, or what have you. Um, that's a whole nother seminar. But what I will say is this, um, this mindset changes the whole idea around what you do, how you spend your time, and where you spend your money. And what I mean by, is this, um, as an example. I've moved to Japan, as I've shared with you a number of times, and I've found that business golf is kind of a thing out there. And it's more of a thing out there than it is here in the US. And so uh, I have taken it upon myself to actually try to be a decent golfer. Now, if you've, if you've ever tried golf, it's a very difficult game. And golfing, uh, learning how to play golf requires lessons, which are not cheap, and requires time, which is precious. But my unconverted heart would say, well, I want to become a, you know, like a sub-handicap 10 golfer so I can be awesome. Right? That's the way we think about it. But now I think about it as, you know what? I want to become a decent golfer so that people would actually want to spend time with me. for four hours on a golf course, and I can have a lot of great spiritual conversations with them. Yeah. Amen. And so the, the act is the same. Spending time and money on golf lessons and practice and all that kind of stuff, it's literally the same activity. But the mindset behind it is completely different. Amen. And um, only you can answer whether you're in it for this reason or that reason. Only you can be in it, you, only you can answer the question as to, am I, play, am I spending all this time and money on golf because I want to be an awesome golfer? Or am I spending this time and money on golf because I want to make myself familiar with their interests and occupations that I might gain access to their hearts? Only you can answer that question. But it, this really changes your mindset around why you do the things that you do and spend the time on the things that you do. And here's the, here's the fact, that if you are living an authentically heart-converted Seventh-day Adventist Christian lifestyle, there are so many things that are different about you from the world. Almost everything is different about you than the world. And so you have to actually think through, what are those instances of common ground that I can find? And it might be golf, it might be another hobby, it might be something else. But you have to find those things, and you have to intentionally mm -hmm. find those things. And if you're not finding those opportunities because they don't exist, you create those opportunities, right? That's why I created cooking classes for my classmates, or I created hikes, or I you know, did this. And then pretty soon, people start to realize, oh, these things are actually kind of fun. And people start inviting me to do things like going rock climbing, which is something that I'm not particularly good at. But again, I said yes, because I was trying to say yes more often. So let's just do a quick role play, all right? Mm -hmm. All right, quick role play. Hey, Cynthia. Are you going to the pub crawl on Friday night? Because uh, it would be a great opportunity for us to like network with people. You know, David, I actually have some other ideas for how we might network a little more effectively. So why don't more we... More effective networking. Yeah. So really? why don't we invite some people... Yeah, why don't we invite some people to actually come over to my place for dinner? And you can handpick who you want to bring. I'll handpick some people I want to bring. And we'll have a good time to discuss and actually um, try to do so soberly. And is this instead of the pub crawl or in addition to? This is instead of on my part. Okay, but for me, can it be in addition? Sure. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Let's I'll, do it. I'll see you there. <laughs> so, so this is real, right? Yeah, and actually, actually, I will also also mention that I'm actually pretty honest with people. When people say, "Hey, you know, why don't you join us?" or "Why don't I see you come with us to these things?" because I know they know I like them and I want to hang out with them, but I actually am very honest with them. I tell them, "Look, I go to these, I go to events because I want to get to know people and build relationships." I say that, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds great." And I'm like, "Well, in my experience, I haven't been able to do that very effectively when everybody's drunk." <laughs> and when I and when people think about that, then you're like, "You know what? You're really right." That's actually not the right way to like build an effective, you know, genuine relationship with people. That's not how you get to know people really well. And so they respect you for that because you're being honest about sort of your position on this topic. And that's when you have the opportunity. So instead, why don't we do this? That wasn't so hard, was it? 
You could do that. Yeah. 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 All right. Great. Um, so the next E, after we, we talked about excelling in life and work, uh, we talked about um, establishing relationships. And this next E is, now it's really interesting. So engaging in spiritual conversations, right? So you've, you've started to build a relationship with, with somebody, your friend, your colleague, your classmate. Now how do you actually engage in a spiritual conversation that will start leading their minds out to investigate? And hopefully what you'll learn is that you can turn anything into a potential spiritual conversation. So in this example with Jesus again, he is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he told her, um, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So we're not going to go into the details about this whole conversation, but I hope that those of you who are familiar with this story recall how Jesus brought her um, mind out to think about spiritual things, and he brought her mind out to investigate. And similarly... Starting with a mundane topic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Drinking water at a well. Um, similarly, Ellen White wrote that some, and hopefully many people in this room, are especially fitted to work for the higher classes. These should seek wisdom from God to know how to reach these persons, to have not merely a casual acquaintance with them, but by personal effort and living faith to awaken them to the needs of the soul, to lead them to a knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus. So this is, again, if you recall, like earlier in our, in our time this afternoon, we had sort of joked about that satirical newsletter talk, talking about how somebody just expects, like by doing things physically, like eating clean and being healthy and not doing certain things on Saturday, people are just going to automatically ask you, hey, tell me about your life. And that's not how it works, right? Because people have been trained, especially in this world, uh, in the sphere of the W3s, to be respectful of other people's choices. So they're not necessarily going to point blank interrogate you on why you do certain things. You want to actually have deliberate conversations, and we're about to show you how you do that. Um, one thing that helps is actually to have some spiritual topics of conversation to refer to. So we talked about having heart conversion as a first step, having life transformation to have personal credibility. Um, all of those things, if you have spiritual experiences regularly, these will become conversational topics that you can refer to when you interact with people. So certain examples, we talked about personal devotional life, you know, going to this conference, people are gonna ask you probably on Monday, hey, what did you do last weekend, right? And hopefully you'll be able to mention, I went to this great conference, I learned a lot. If somebody asks me, and I guarantee yeah, you somebody's well, gonna what, ask me. Why don't I ask you? Okay. <laughs> so Cynthia, how, was, uh, how were the holidays? What'd they you were do? great. I spent time with my family, and I had a chance to go to an international conference with my church. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, my family came over, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so what, what, was that? what did that just tell me? He's not really interested, right? He doesn't want to know about the conference. Um, but I guarantee you... Now let's rewind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, Cynthia, how, how, was, how were the holidays? What did you do? They were wonderful. I had some good time with my family, and then I actually went to a conference, uh, an international conference with my church. Conference? What kind of conference was it? Well, it had all kinds of topics that we talked about, but I was actually uh, personally interested in how do you live an authentic life and bring your beliefs in a way that genuinely shows them both inside and outside of your personal life, so in a professional sphere as well. Oh, that's like being a holistic person. That's awesome. I yeah. love that. There are so many gurus who talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fantastic way to live your life where you don't feel like you are feeling one way in one part of your life in a different way in another, and it's something that I value, and um, it's become a very important part of my life. So if you ever want to chat about that, just let me know. Okay, I will. Thank you. <laughs> So those are examples of how anything you have in terms of spiritual experiences. You're getting a signal about your hair. Oh, really? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. I will control my hair. Um, <laughs> so having spiritual experiences regularly will give you almost like topical, topics of conversation that you can use to, um, to reference in your conversations. Another so, but you, you do see how we took a mundane question yeah. like, what would you do over the winter break and turned it into a spiritual conversation, yeah. right? You can do this with literally any question. We'll talk about it. Anyway, go for it. So here's an example. You would never have occurred, this would never have occurred to me until I had this real, this is a real life question I got. 
And I do wear makeup, by the way, but when I go to like regular like class or when I'm at like regular work days, I don't generally wear much makeup. And people notice the craziest things about you. People are watching you. People are always watching you. So literally I had this question about a classmate. So this is at the Harvard Business School. I have a classmate who has come to my lunches. He's gone because of my cooking classes, et cetera. So we have somewhat of a relationship. And he comes up to me one day and he's like, you know what, Cynthia, why don't you wear makeup? Do you have, do you, is there something in your belief system that that is against looking attractive? <laughs> That's literally what was said, by the way. Yeah. So, what I want to sort of start illustrating for you is that how do you turn any conversation into a spiritual conversation is to offer, I would call, a conversational menu of options. And so here's literally what I said. So well, there's a few reasons. His, his name is Alex. So I said, Alex, there's a few reasons. Um, first of all, I try to live a healthy lifestyle so that my skin doesn't need a lot of makeup. Translation, my skin is better than the other girls. <laughs> um, second of all, I, I, I just try to save time in the morning because I have other things I'd like to spend my time when I'm busy and trying to get to school. At the time, I'm not in school anymore. But, um, and if he asked about that, I would explain what do I like to spend my morning time with. And that's, we talked about personal devotional life, right? Working out, et cetera. And then the third thing is I said, I only wear makeup when I'm trying to look older or more professional or for special occasions like church. So if, there's different ways of mixing it up, but I highlighted any of the things he could have asked me could have led to a spiritual conversation. And in fact, um, I guess I'll talk about this example later, but what ended up happening is we actually did have a spiritual conversation. I found out that he had, uh, he knew somebody in his past who was an Adventist Christian and he respected this person a lot. And so he was curious to know about, you know, how does that influence my life at, at business school at the time? And I'll tell you what happens later, but essentially we did have a spiritual conversation based off of this question. So. And what's great about the menu is that you offer the person an out. Right, this is not about cornering people and making them listen to you. This is about, like, I'm gonna put out three options. We're gonna see which one you choose, and any of them I can turn into a spiritual conversation. Or they could just completely ignore it and say, wow, healthy lifestyle, that's awesome. So, uh, you wanna have lunch? <laughs> Or they might be like, oh, what's your workout? You know, what are you, what is, what is, what are you interested in doing for your, for your typical workout, right? Like completely bypass any kind of spiritual mention, which, which is fine. You're still there being their friend. You're still building the relationship. And you never know down the line if another opportunity will open up. And you also, you're figuring, remember our, our metaphors, you're figuring out who the hungry fish are and you're figuring out where the ripe fruit is. So even if you get a response like that, that's okay. Because now you know, oh, that's, that's not a ripe fruit yet. But I'm going to circle around later and see if it's ripened more. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so this is a list of real questions that David and I and or I have gotten and all of these have led to spiritual conversations. These are all like regular questions you'd get you know, in a, in a regular day-to-day um, -day interaction, right? What's up for the weekend or how was your weekend? Any vacation plans? What do you do for fun? In David's case, do you still play the cello? So all of these things are just regular conversational topics that you get all the time. But in reality, all of these happened to either me or David and all of them led to spiritual conversations. So it's pretty doable, right? Yes. So Yeah. How much time do you pre-think through answers to questions like that? And how much do you rely on the Holy Spirit to give you it in the moment? I, I would say, yeah, so the question is, is how much uh, premeditation do I put or we put into these answers? And what I would I, I, so it's been a journey for us. The first time, and we should make this point, the first time we had these spiritual conversations with people and we put out a little about like what we did over the weekend, like going to church, um, we were like really nervous. This is scary. I wonder what's going to happen. Will they still like me? <laughs> and what we found was that people still liked us. Um, <laughs> but uh, and what my point is, the first time it happens, there's a bit of improvisation. Like, oh, no one's ever asked me that question before. How do I turn this into a spiritual conversation? But then 
Like, how many times do you get asked, how was your weekend? Or why don't you eat meat? Or yeah, why are you a vegetarian? Or why don't you do these things on Saturday? Like, you get the same questions over and over and over, so you can refine your answers, because you hear them a million times. Or why don't you drink alcohol? I got that one a million times. Yeah, so there's actually not that many questions at the end of the day. Um, so the first time you conf are confronted with the answer, you are improvising. But um, after that, it, it gets very comfortable. Yes, question. So as I'm looking at these, I, I'm in a place and I work in a, in a system where it's kind of high power, right? So um, I don't drink at all, and they all know I don't drink. And one of the guys was like, well, you need to just fake it, right? And I was like, I can't. Um, I'm not good at it. <laughs> so he was like, oh, well, just drink, drink like a tonic and make it look like a gin and tonic, and then they'll look, you'll look like one of them. Um, and I was like, nah, I'm good. Um, but do you find those kind of small little compromises in these issues um, looking like you fit, even though you don't? Yeah, so the question is, is um, to what extent do you try to look like you fit, even though you're not actually doing the same thing, like drinking a clear liquid that is not vodka? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but has a lime in it, so it could be vodka, <laughs> right? So do you have a comment on that? I'll be honest, I don't try to fake it. I don't yeah, I mean. Cynthia doesn't fake anything, <laughs> as you can tell. I, uh, I like to be transparent with people, right? Because part of the, part of the whole um, awesome thing about being a Christian is that you do have something different to, to bring. And, and there's a reason why you don't choose to drink, right? So I'm actually, I'm happy to answer the question if somebody asks me, why don't you drink alcohol? Because it comes up all the time, right? right? If, you're in a, if you're in business school or if you're in a professional sphere of influence, so like you, you, that's, that's just something everybody does. So I actually welcome the question because again, you're gonna provide them a conversational menu of options, right. which they may or may not bite on, but if they do, that you could turn that into an interesting conversation. So Cynthia, what? Why don't you drink? Why don't you join us? Like, we're all having a good time, right? Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I don't, actually, David. Um, I would say there's three reasons. Mm. Number one is I actually genuinely don't like the taste of alcohol. Um, you know, it's not like chocolate, right? Or like chocolate cake, where it's not really good for you, but it tastes so good that- Apologies to the health reformers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, keep going. Um, so alcohol's not like that for me. Like, alcohol for me, is it doesn't taste good. Okay. Um, some of them taste good. No, they don't. Two is, I really honestly don't think it's good for, for your body. Um, your body processes alcohol like a poison. So if nothing else, your body knows it's not good for you. Um, but three, from a spiritual perspective, I think it really influences your mind and your emotions, et cetera. And I think it's important to abstain. So that's, that was an interesting approach um, because it was very detailed and explicit right off the bat. Now ask me. <laughs> so, David, why don't you drink alcohol? Well, um, you know, for me, there's a lot of reasons not to drink alcohol, but, um, you know, part of, part of it is health and part of it is, you know, there are some, you know, you know I'm a Christian, so there are some spiritual implications for me in why I choose not to drink alcohol. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> All right, but so... When I say that, the people who are not interested are like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but the people who are interested, the hungry fish, will say, oh, spiritual implications. What does he mean by that? That sounds intriguing. I want to talk to him. So th th that's how we, that, that, those are good examples of how we will kind of navigate those situations. Um, yes, and then we'll go, we have two questions here, so. Never compromise and try to look like the crowd. That was the whole point of Daniel and his three friends. I, I'm a pastor, and two weeks ago, I had a gentleman that I'd never seen in my church. I stopped to talk to him in the lobby. He said, Pastor, I was raised an Adventist. I went to Andrews, but I have wandered a long, long road away, and I'm trying to come home. And he told me the story. He's a high-power, successful corporate guy. He said they invited me to come to their parties. And at first, I just drank water. 
But then I drank an orange juice because they kept bugging me. And then it was, you know, a step at a time down the road to look like morphine. And then finally it ended up being alcohol in this glass. Yeah, so this is a story about the slippery slope, and the slippery slope is real, meaning, um, you know, we had the quotation earlier from Ellen White, this is the hardest thing to do, to be in the secular world, not as a, uh, I think the phrase she used, as an avowed open missionary or, um, you know, kind of gospel worker, but as a regular person who's got a regular job, uh, you know, mixing with the world. This is the hardest thing, and this is part of the reason why. Because you will be tempted. You will be tempted to just take that step. Or, or, but um, remember, the good news is that what we believe is actually true. Yeah. We made that point earlier. What we believe is actually true. And so you can be confident about the choices that you make. You just need to present them to others in a way that is um, reasonable and attractive. Yeah. And you had a question. Uh, what would you say, like, uh, I had a friend, like, well, wine is already indicated in the Bible, like Jesus turned water into wine and Paul drank wine. Right. So can you, can you ask me that question? So, David, why do you avoid alcohol when wine is mentioned in the Bible all the time? Yeah. That's a really good question. And um, it's probably not one that I can address in a couple minutes here. But if you ever want to get into that, um, let's, have a, let's set up some time. Let's chat about it. Sure. I'd like that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> And so I, I just, what, what did I just do? Yeah, that's right. So I want to acknowledge that that's a reasonable question. Yeah. That's a reasonable question, isn't it not? Yeah. And, and, and then two, then I invited her to actually talk about it. Yeah. And I didn't try to answer it in the moment because you cannot answer that question in like 30 seconds. Um, and then the hungry fish will say, oh, okay, let's do that. And then the person who's not really that interested anyway, they're just going to say, oh, okay, sure, you know, maybe, but they might turn you down, and in which case you haven't lost anything. So don't feel like you have to answer the questions like in the moment and be like, I know the answer. <laughs> Buy yourself some time and invite them to talk with you further. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just have a quick question about the, uh, the example turning every conversation into a spiritual one. Um, let's say, you know, we're, we're at, you know, not at the well, like the Jesus was, but at the water cooler, right? Yeah. How do, how, how do I turn that into a spiritual So I have a somewhat example of this. Can you repeat it wasn't the a, question? Yeah. Okay. So the question was, in the example we had with Jesus and the woman at the well, um, is there a way to turn the water cooler conversations into a spiritual conversation? So I wasn't literally at a water cooler, but it was kind of like that. So I had a, an Indian Hindu classmate at business school, and she and I had both uh, been taking, she had taken this class I had, was taking currently last semester, and she wanted to know what I thought about it, because it's a little bit of a controversial class. It's called um, Authentic Leadership Development, and I call it How to Avoid White Collar Crimes and Going to Prison. Um, and it was just an interesting class, and um, she wanted to know what I thought about it. And I, and I told her, you know, and this was, again, this is a quick conversation. I, you know, I told her, you know, it's a really interesting class. I think they have a lot of good ways of how do you stick to your morals, et cetera. But I think it, there's a huge piece missing from this class. And she's like, what's that? She's like, well, it assumes you have morals. And I said, the class never talks about where you get your morals from. And she's like, oh, you know, that's a really good point. Where do you get your morals? So I didn't, Ooh. like, go into... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go into the details then, but I was like, you know, um, it's, it's a longer conversation, so if you'd like to chat more about it, why don't we set up some time? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So um, our next E is empathize with the individual. And I think this is so important because a lot of times when people approach witnessing and, and winning souls for Christ, it's almost like a numbers game. And you are like, oh, I want to baptize lots of people into the church. But really... You, I hope you care about your friend, right? I hope you care about your classmate. I hope you care about the individual. And this is really important when you're trying to share the gospel anyways, because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I love this, um, this, this quote from Jesus because he, his, his sort of love for people is coming through these words, right? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when I look at the Spirit of Prophecy, she wrote, Jesus taught in a way that made people feel the completeness of his identification with their interests and happiness. 
right? So when Jesus interacted with people, people saw how much he loved them and how much he cared about what they cared about and he wanted what was best for them. And hopefully that's coming across when you have these conversations with people, right? When you're, when you're having spiritual conversations, when you're honestly just listening to people and, and what, what they're worried about, what they care about, hopefully how much you care about them as a person is coming through. Um, an example of this is I have an, an, an atheist classmate who's, I think I actually used her in a previous example for a different reason, but um, after we graduated, she had done a lot of work to get a really high-powered job as she was working in venture capital and healthcare. And she calls me maybe six months after we graduated, and she calls me and she's like, you know what, I really don't like this job. It's not working out, and et cetera, et cetera. She basically was really disappointed that the job wasn't as what she expected. And we chatted a little bit. I asked her about how she had recently gotten married, so I had just chatted with her about how things were going, and we talked about some ideas of what she could do instead. And after that, we ended the call, et cetera. But after I, um, and by the way, I had spiritual conversations with her during business school, so she knows I'm a Christian. So after we hung up the phone, I, I don't know, I felt impressed to send her a quick email, because she asked me to send her something anyways. But at the end of the email, I was a little bit hesitant because I didn't want to be like a little bit pushy or like, I know she's atheist, so I didn't want her to feel bad, but I felt compelled to write in my email, you know, I know you're an atheist and I respect you, but just know that I really care about what you're going through and I'm praying for you. Sent her the email and that was it. A few minutes later, I get a response back from her through email that says, you know what, I really appreciate that. And I, I could feel, she literally wrote, I could feel the love through your words. So this is what I mean by empathizing with the individual and hopefully you are show, showing them God's love because I don't know if she's ever gonna have a Bible study, right? She's still atheist. I have no idea if she's ever gonna be interested in things of God and if she's gonna actually wanna have a Bible study. But if at the very least, she knows at least one person who is a Christian that she admires and respects and likes, I consider that something that's a win, right? If you're, if you're being the face of Christ to somebody, I consider that a win. And, and to add, you know, we use the word here, empathize, not just because it starts with E, although that's really important. <laughs> but remember, we're trying to win people's hearts. And a lot of the time, so we have, uh, we have the blessing in Seventh-day Adventist Church of having an incredibly rigorous and coherent framework for understanding the world and the Bible. Yeah. Amen? Amen? The... Um, the uh, risk is that we overplay that to the extent where the Bible and theology become almost an exclusively intellectual head thing. Mm -hmm. But we're not only trying to win people's minds, we're trying to win their hearts. And that's where empathy really comes into play. Question in the back. So the question is, is you have a long-standing friend, actually a classmate, um, who you've, for a variety of circumstances, have gotten to a place at a certain point 
where you were uh, praying for her and having a, kind of a spiritual dialogue with her. But then at another point, uh, it turned into this thing where she just flat out rejected any mention of God or Jesus, and you're not sure why, and you don't know what to do. So, um, I, you know, obviously without knowing all the details of the situation, um, I would say a couple things. One is, uh, so this is not ripe fruit, right? So, so I think when someone is not ripe, and this is often really difficult with family members, when someone is not ripe, uh, you know, so think about the, 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 uh, the metaphor of going through the orchard and testing and looking at fruit and trying to figure out if it's ripe. Um, if, if you forcibly pick the apple off the tree when it's not ripe, it will never become ripe. So once you know someone's not ripe, you want to back away from that. You, you should still pray for that person and let the Holy Spirit do its work. But uh, in this circumstance, you don't, actually with anybody, you don't want to be forcing the situation. Um, the second thing is, I would say, be introspective um, about like, what, if anything, did I do to contribute to this? Because you know, in all good intention, we might have done something. Like, you might have done something. Um, and asking for that feedback is, is really good. So, but ultimately, if someone is not ripe, there's not anything you should do about that other than to continue to love them, continue to empathize with them, continue to do whatever you can to be their friend, and pray for them. Would you add anything to that? No, that's, I think that's exactly right. I, I always think about preserving the relationship as much as possible. And, you know, you never know if you're only there to plant the seed or fertilize the seed and somebody else will see it sprout, right? So that's why if it's very easy to get frustrated because you don't see people getting baptized and you don't see people, you know, immediately signing up for Bible studies. This is not like a fill the stadiums type of mentality, right? This is a very slow, it's person by person, personal relationship building. And so that's why you have to just sort of be comfortable that you're not the Holy Spirit and you have no idea when the Holy Spirit is going to cause that seed to sprout, right? Like th think of this, uh, my friend I told you about who asked me about the makeup question. He said he knew an Adventist person when he was younger that that person made an impression on him. So when, I, when he met me years later, who, who isn't also an Adventist, he was more interested in hearing a little bit more about why I believe in God. And who knows, I, I doubt the person from his years ago uh, friend, his, this friend from a long time ago, I doubt that person knows where he ended up. And this uh, idea of preserving the relationship is so critical. Um, you know, of course, we're not supposed to argue with people. We've covered that in the past. But when you're in the heat of the moment, you can really want to be right. And you want to make sure they know you're right. And it is 10 times out of 10 better to just, you know, if, if they're not going to be moved, if they're not ripe, if, if you sense that, just like think, oh, switch from, uh, sharing mode to how do I preserve this relationship mode so that I can live to interact with this person in a future situation and they'll still be open to me. Um, question in the back. Question in the back. There's, so let me repeat the question. So what I'm hearing is you have a friend who says, um, I'm really upset because my boyfriend moved out, moved out. And you're thinking in your head, well, he shouldn't have been there to begin with, so I'm happy that he's out, right? Yeah. Well, again, again, you know, you understand that that maybe is not the right place to have the boyfriend, but you hopefully care about the individual, you care about your friend, and she is sad, right? So you don't have to be, you don't have to be approving her relationship with her boyfriend in order to give her comfort and to give her hope and to sort of invite her to you know, spend some time with you so that she can get over it, right? So I don't think that you have to approve sin in order to love the sinner, which is what Jesus also said. Exactly. Anything else? Okay. So let's go to our next and actual final E. So this is really important. People often forget this. This is, this is the last E, so extend an open-ended invitation. 
a lot of times um, you'll have an interesting spiritual conversation, and you we you saw this illustrated a bit earlier where um, when I when David did the illustration about um, what was the question? I forgot which question it was about. It was your question, I think. The, the, the wine, like the wine in the Bible, and David was just like, you know what? If you ever want to talk about this further, just let me know. That is so important because A, it gives you more time to prepare and, and put both of you in a state of mind where you're actually trying to investigate something as opposed to just a 30-second conversation in the hall. But two, a lot of times people are very uncomfortable asking for your time, especially in this world. So if, if I think about my colleagues and my classmates, there's very much a quid pro quo mentality, meaning you know, if, if, if I give you something, you know, you give me something, it's like there's almost a system of checks and balances where you're very uncomfortable taking from people and not feeling like you're giving something back. So it's so important to actually convey that you are really interested in these types of discussions, that you love to talk about these things, and you are happy to spend the time with them and extend that invitation in that light. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. So. Uh, well, here's a good example. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> I have a, a colleague at work who, uh, he is a Christian, actually, and he, he has quite a, a, a compelling testimony himself about how he went from being a non-Christian to being uh, what he considers himself to be an evangelical, non-denominational Christian. And so we had had a series of, um, of spiritual conversations on a variety of topics along the way that we've been describing. And so I made the open-ended invitation at one point to say, hey, you know, if, if you ever want to talk further about these kinds of subjects or biblical topics, let me know. And he said, great, thanks. So what does that mean? He's not interested now. So fast forward six months, because I, I was still his friend, I was still his colleague, we still had lunch together and, and that kind of thing. So we were having lunch, maybe six months from that point, fast forward. I had tucked away that he was not interested, um, but we were having lunch, because I was still empathizing and being his friend. And then he says to me, just out of the blue, he says, hey David, remember about six months ago when we talked about you know, the subject and, and you had said that you'd be happy to uh, discuss further? I said, oh, yeah, sure, I remember that. He said, well, you know, I think I'd like to do that. And that led to probably a year's worth of Bible studies. Now, it didn't lead to a baptism uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, some objections, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. But, um, but check this out. So we had done maybe a year's worth of Bible studies. I had taken them through... Basically, all the topics you would cover in an an evangelistic uh, series or an evangelistic seminar. He really loved it. He he thought it was great. Um, And so fast forward a year after we had finished the Bible studies, because at a certain point he said, hey, you know, I I think I'm good now. So fast forward a year, we're we're, we're still having conversations. We're still having uh, lunch. We're still, you know, he's still my friend. We're still colleagues. We're uh, we're having um, a one-on-one. And he says, uh, hey, David, you know, uh, a friend of mine has moved to the area, childhood friend, and uh, I'm really excited because he's an atheist, uh, and I'd really, but, but he's, through our relationship, his relationship, through our relationship, he's expressed an interest in uh, learning more about God. So I said, hey, great, that's, that's awesome, you know, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Uh, thanks for sharing that with me. And then he says, so, so David, I was wondering, um, could, could you send me the electronic version of the Bible studies that you and I went through? Because I'd really like to use those with him. <laughs> All right, so now we have the evangelical, non-denominational Christian who actually declined to join the Seventh-day Adventist church using a set of Seventh-day Adventist Bible studies to study the Bible with his atheist childhood friend. <laughs> it's not a baptism, but I'll take it. And it just illustrates the, one, the open-ended invitation and how these things can really play out over time. And two, how we need to think about success in a very different way when it comes to this group. Thanks. Um, I actually have another example that's kind of similar to that, but I will wait, I'll share it after I go through some of these quotes. So um, again, Jesus has a really great way of illustrating this concept where he says in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Notice he is not kicking the door down. He is knocking gently. And in fact, a lot of the paintings you see of Jesus knocking on doors, um, you'll notice a lot of times there's no door handle or there's no, no doorknob on his side of the door because again, he, doesn't, he extends an invitation and he waits to see if somebody will accept. Um, and similarly, uh, Ellen White also said, there are intelligent men and women whom we are afraid to work for fearing repulse, but earnest efforts should be made for the higher classes coming close to their hearts visiting them and using special wisdom to win them to the truth. There should be no pushing, no sharp contention, but leading their minds out to investigate. So again, you're not trying to beat them with a club of the 27 fundamental beliefs. You're trying to extend an invitation and see if they're ripe and ready to hear the message. And, and I, I just want to say, we, we do believe in the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I, I want there to be no misunderstanding about that. But, you know, it's, it's funny because we often feel, you know, especially when we're new at this, we feel like, once someone shows even a little bit of interest, we feel like we've got to tell them everything. Yeah. Um, but you can see from this, this method, like, no, this is not about telling them everything or trying to cram it in, you know, in a short time. This is about a long-term relationship, you know, week in, week out, day, month, years, you know, it can take years. Um, so you, you want to lead them to, it's called leading them to the Lord. It's <laughs> leading them to Jesus. Uh, it's not forcing them. Or dragging them, kicking or them. Or dragging them, yeah. So the example I, was, I thought of after David shared his story is that classmate that asked me the question about why, do you, why don't you wear a lot of makeup? Um, we had a spiritual conversation after that discussion about makeup, and we ended up getting um, some sort of, I can't remember if it was a dinner or if it was a lunch or something, and after we had that spiritual conversation, I said, I did exactly this. I extended an open-ended invitation that said, if you ever want to chat about this type of thing further, just let me know. We graduated from, um, from, from the business school. We went our separate ways. He went to work for some IT company in India. And then nine months later, I get a completely random text message from him out of the blue. I had not been really keeping in touch with him, frankly, after we both went our separate ways. And I got an, a text message saying, um, I'd like to take you up on your offer. Literally, that's all it said. And I was literally thinking, okay, he had come to my cooking class, he'd come to my lunches. I had no idea what he was referring to because I had offered to teach him things, like teach him how to cook vegetarian food, et cetera. So I was like, what offer are you referring to? And then he said, I'd like to study the Bible. So again, this is nine months after and I have not been talking to him like this entire time since we graduated. So that led to about a year of Bible studies, which is actually still ongoing. So that's an example of how you leave an invitation and see what happens. So wanting to summarize the process here, I, I hope you get the sense now that this is not by accident, right? You're not waiting for people to just come up to you and be like, why don't you, you know, do something on Saturday? I mean, yes, you can use that into a spiritual conversation, but this is a very intentional, thoughtful process that you are actually praying about and asking God to give you divine appointments and ask God to send people your way who are actually ripe. Yes. Yes, actually, what we're going to do is if you sign up for our newsletter through our website, hopefully everyone got one of those little postcards, we're just going to email out the deck to people on the newsletter list. It will just be faster. Right, so in order to get the materials, you need to sign up for our email list so that you can receive the link to get to the deck. It's just easier that way, because otherwise you have people coming up with like USB drives and stuff like that. And yeah. yeah. So in summary, it's these, the five E's, excel in life and work, right? Be credible, make God look awesome, establish relationships, right? Show people that you care and, and that you want to spend time with them, right? Say yes as much as possible and extend invitations when you can't. Um, engage in spiritual conversations by turning any conversation to a spiritual conversation. Remember that conversational menu of options. Empathize with people, right, so that you can show people the love of God and love of Christ and actually have their hearts touched as opposed to just their minds, logically. And then lastly, extend an open-ended invitation for whenever they're ready. They might say yes to you or they might say yes to somebody else in the future. So we're going to close with some reflection questions that I think you're going to take over. Okay. So uh, we've covered a lot of ground. This is the last session of today. Uh, just a few questions to reflect on. We talked about life transformation and how 
your uh, witness, your life is a witness for Jesus, and your life either makes Jesus look awesome or it makes him look not so good. Um, so reflect. In what ways is your life attractive to the W3s in your life? Like what, what do you think people would say about you when it, you know, when it comes to David, here's what I really think. And is that attractive? Is that a compelling witness? And in what ways can you improve? Second, are you having enough spiritual experiences to fuel your spiritual conversations? You remember the example where I said, hey, Cynthia, what did you do for the holidays? Well, if she did not come to GYC for the holidays, she would not have that as something that she could lay out there as fodder for conversation. If you're not going to church, for example, you would have nothing to say about what you did over the weekend that has to do with spiritual things. And so that's why these spiritual, converse, uh, spiritual experiences are the fuel for spiritual conversations. And um, you want to do that. And then will you commit to having spiritual conversations in your sphere of influence? You know, we just went through these very benign, mundane questions like, how was your weekend? And we just shared with you how you can turn that into an actual spiritual conversation. Now, did that sound easy or hard? Sound pretty easy, right? Like when someone says, what'd you do over the weekend? And you say, oh, well, I went to church. That's not actually hard. But in my non-heart converted state, I was like, oh man, should I say that? Am I gonna come across as pushy? I don't even really believe this stuff. But once you're heart converted and you have a mind towards sharing the gospel, it's actually the easiest thing to do. In fact, it would be hard not to say that you went to church. Because then that gets at the, the epic splits in your life and the cognitive dissonance that you feel when you're trying to straddle the world and uh, your, your spiritual, um, your, your church life. So this is easy. So will you commit to doing this in your sphere of influence. And so with that, uh, we have a couple minutes left so we can take a couple more questions. What's that? You have a Slack channel? Yes, we are. We're developing one. We're developing a Slack channel. We're developing one. Um, So stay engaged with us at nicodemasociety.org, nicodemasociety.org. But let's take one or two questions before we wrap up for tonight. Restate number two, the reflection question. Uh, I think reflection question number two was, are you having enough spiritual experiences to feel spiritual conversations? Um, there, there was another, sure, thank you. Another question here. In the last two or three months, it seems like uh, there's been a lot of tension between male-female issues in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that is putting a damper on the five years so the question is, is there's been a lot of attention to male-female relationships uh, in the workplace over the last few months, and does that put a damper on um, uh, spiritual conversations? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I personally I mean, don't feel that. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a woman, but like I, I haven't had any issue, any changes in how people have been receptive. Yeah, because remember, here's a key point. These are people who already like you. <laughs> Remember we started with uh, this idea of having credibility and uh, relationships. Like the people you're talking to, these are people who actually like you already. So they'll probably cut you some slack even if you say something not quite right. And remember, they are asking you, right? You offered them a conversational menu of options. You did not force them to go down one of those paths. They are following up on whatever they are interested in talking to you about. So that is, it is a voluntary choice of what you're discussing. So you, but you do have to be careful that you maintain that voluntary dynamic mm-hmm. in the conversation. And you don't turn the conversation into more of a cornering situation where you force them to go down a path that they might not be ready to go down. So thank you for that question. All right, with that, um, I know there are more questions. Come see us at our booth, number 309. And uh, come back tomorrow because we're going to talk about how do you transition, uh, trans, uh, transition from having spiritual conversations to actual Bible studies? And what do you do? Yeah. So with that, let's wrap up with a word of prayer. Lord God, our Father, we've, we've shared a lot of information today. 
And Lord, uh, we can see and feel that you have been with us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would have taken something from this set of presentations that we can use, that we can very practically apply. Lord, I pray not merely for information to be conveyed, but Lord, I pray for impact in someone's life. And so Lord, whether it's in the area of um, having a heart burden for the W3s, whether it's in the area of, of uh, heart conversion or life transformation, having a devotional life, or initiating and having spiritual conversations, Lord, I pray that someone would have taken just even one thing that they can concretely apply in their lives going forward, Lord. I pray for this conviction, and I pray for your continued um, mercy in this, in this uh, seminar that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.